Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hello, I'm Kimberly. That was my husband, Pastor Josiah. Um, I'm excited to be back here again. I'm not sure I've ever preached two Sundays in a row in Kelowna. So this is like a big deal for me. So I appreciate your support and you're cheering me on. I'm loving how Christmassy it is. Last week it was like, you know, still end of fall. Now it's Christmassy. And uh, so thanks to Tammy and her right-hand elf man, Tony, uh, that made this Christmas spirit happen. I'm fully into the Christmas season. Like, I've embraced it. Uh, I generally feel like there's there's two groups of people out there. There's the people that they wait to like one minute after the Remembrance Day ceremony is over, and then they decorate. So that's one group of people. And then I find that the next group of people, the second group, are annoyed at that first group of people. So that, you know, they, d- December should be Christmas. Christmas should be contained and not unnecessarily dragged out. So I'm in group one. Who else is in group one? Yeah, a minute after Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm, good. And then the rest of us? Oh, we've got some middle ground here. Interesting. Okay. Um, my husband and I, uh, we, we've had to work through a lot of strife over this, actually, over the years. So he's actually okay with setting up after Remembrance Day is over. But what he requires is a real tree. And this is in conflict. So after many, many years of working this through and seeking professional counseling, we now have a situation where on Remembrance Day I set up a tiny little like dinky fake tree that then gets replaced when the real tree time has come. So for more marriage tips, follow me on the Insta. Just joking. I give no advice on Instagram. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Anyways, we are starting a brand new series today, Thriving at Christmas. And uh, let me be the first to admit that I could definitely use a series like this uh, because many times I have felt like Christmas is more something you survive through, not thrive through, right? It can be the best time ever, but also sometimes the worst time ever, right? Christmas is my favorite holiday. Um, I really look forward to it, but admittedly there has been times where I've also dreaded it. So I love this title for the series that we are starting because it reminds me that as Christians, it is not our goal in life merely to survive life, right? I mean, many of us are survivors of things in life, survivors of circumstances, but it's not our primary goal just to survive our time on earth, just to get to our deathbed and with our Christianity intact. No, Romans 8.27 says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And another verse says that despite, or another version says, despite all the difficulties around us, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. And Proverbs 11:28 says, but God's people will prosper like healthy plants. So not like the plants in my house. So this year, I am going to take a cue from this series. I'm going to take a cue from the scriptures we go through. I'm going to do my best to follow the biblical guidelines and principles we'll be talking about. Maybe the ones in my own preach. We'll see. And I do hope that you join me in resolving that, you know, this season I'm going to do more thriving than surviving this Christmas. And I think Jesus would approve and Santa Claus and Buddy from Elf. I think they'd all approve. So Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
The title for my message today is Get in the Flow. Get in the Flow. Also, hello, online people. Welcome. All right, I'm just going to pray before I move forward. God, once again, I just thank you for the honor to be able to get together with your people and talk about you. I thank you for the honor that we can learn about you weekly, that we can be challenged, that we can discuss things. And I thank you the most that you are here with us in the midst of that. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that your presence is here. And God, it is my request that you would help us take what we learned today and use it to move forward in our lives, to move forward in our church, to move forward in the things that you're calling us to. We love you so much, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, join me. Join me on this little uh, imagination journey for a moment. <clears throat> Gift exchange among friends. You all decide on a limit of $25. You think you've done pretty well. But during the exchange, that one person decided to ignore the limit. And they spent $100 on the gift that they gave away. They are the hero, the generous friend. What the heck? Or this. Your dad, he didn't call you on Christmas Day or any time during the Christmas season. Again. End of your Christmas party at work. You really don't want to be there because your manager has aggravated you all year long. Despite you expressing concerns that too much of the budget was being dedicated to improving the quality of the fake plants in the office, he went ahead and did it anyways. He's now giving a spiel that there will be no bonus checks due to limited funds for Christmas this year. But he does hand out buy one hot dog, get one free coupons from 7-Eleven. <laughs> it's not your year to have the kids on Christmas Day. Your wife and her new and improved lover have taken your kids to the ski hill. He doesn't have the right to spend the holidays with your kids. You hate him. Family Christmas dinner. It's at your great Auntie Gertrude's this year. You can't get there until 5 p.m. because of other obligations, so you bring a salad and a bottle of wine because it was easy to throw together. But during dinner, your aunt comments about how sad it is that you're so busy that you can't contribute properly anymore to holiday celebrations. If you really love Jesus, you'd treat your family better. You wonder how to avoid speaking to Auntie Gertrude ever again. You're single and alone, and you're single because your partner had an affair. He ruined your life. Or you went out of your way to fill everyone's Christmas stockings, but you only got the leftover suckers from the kids' Halloween collection in yours. And that, my friends, is likely my fate this year. So maybe you haven't lived through one of these exact scenarios, but can anyone empathize with some of the feelings that maybe they evoke? Right? We all experience these minor annoyances in our relationships, but also these major pains, and for many of us, traumatic wounds. And it seems like these sorts of scenarios feel so much more painful or frustrating when it comes to the Christmas season. And I was thinking about why that's the case, because it uh, turns out relationships are imperfect all year round. Right, so why does everything feel so amplified at Christmas time? And I think it's maybe because Christmas is supposed to be wonderful. 
right? It's supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be the season where love takes the lead, right? Where we work to show appreciation for each other, where we show kindness to the less fortunate. So perhaps since we believe or know that Christmas is supposed to be about these good things, when these unpain or these unpleasant or painful moments happen, they seem so loudly or distastefully in contrast to what it's supposed to be. Right? It's like the person who's laughing at the wrong time of the funeral. Or maybe an ex who shows up to give a speech at your wedding. Right? Some things should never go together. And Christmas season is magical and it's full of wonder, so would everyone in my life just not be a jerk and ruin it? But relationships are imperfect and messy, and unfortunately they, are, they always will be, no matter what this season. So what do we need to do? How do we thrive in the midst of imperfect people and relationships and relational wounds? Well, we take responsibility for the health of our own souls, and we do what we can to bring health to those relationships. Because here's the deal. Relationships with people affect our relationship with God. I think I literally stole that word from word from the disciple uh, chapter this week. But relationships with people affect our relationship with God. And when there are things that have broken down in our relationships, when there are things that have made us bitter or angry or resentful or offended at someone, it's actually then that our connection with God is affected. Matthew 5, 21 through 24. It's a book in the Bible. And there's this passage from Jesus. He says this. You're familiar with the commands to the ancients, do not murder. But I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with his brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother an idiot, and you might just find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. And this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship, and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, and go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. I know that was a bit of a long verse, but it's saying that when we come to God and worship, whether that's here Sunday morning or, or whether it's in our homes or devotional time, when we come to God and worship, whatever context that may be in, but we are ticked off at someone or someone has done us wrong and we have anger or resentment towards them, we are to do whatever we can to make things right so our communion with God remains intact. Like, that's a big implication, and yes, I know many times we can't make things right before a Sunday service technically, or maybe the person who hurt you, you don't even know. But, but the principle and point to the scripture remains the same, even if it's just internal work. Right? If someone has hurt us, if someone has wounded us, or just really annoyed us, it is imperative that we don't let that negative disposition toward that person stay lodged in our spirits. So what this means is we need to get really good at this thing called forgiveness. And yes, I know this is a fan favorite topic at church. But if you are joining me in deciding that we're going to thrive during this Christmas season, that we are going to do more than just survive it, then we also need to decide that we are going to become really good forgivers. 
Right? If that one boss or that failed gift exchange or that, that parent that hurt you or that annoying ex or intolerable Auntie Gertrude, I think was her name, if we're not going to let those relationships or those wounds or those comments rob us from thriving this Christmas, then we have got to figure out how to be really good forgivers. Now, before we move forward, I think it's important to clear up what I think are the two biggest misconceptions about forgiveness. And I think the one that we probably talk the most about is the misconception that forgiveness is synonymous with forgetting. It's not. Forgiveness is not forgetting or accepting or being okay with what happened. That's not forgiveness. But number two, I think there's this misconception that forgiveness is a single one-time event. It's like this big moment we get to and choose and then all is said and done. When really, forgiveness is a lot more like a flow. It's like a continual process. Right? Everyone say forgiveness is a flow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> forgiveness is a flow. There are some, I don't know, relationship wounds, if you will, that took place in my life over a decade ago, maybe even longer. And just as I'm preparing this message, because that's usually how it works, a few things happen and those pain points were triggered again. And yes, I did have this big moment, the like weeping moment, the, oh God, I forgive that person. And that did happen over 10 years ago. I, I chose to forgive. But it came back up. And I actually had to choose to re-forgive again. I had, I had to choose to let go of the resentment again. I had to decide to let go of my desire for vengeance or, or personal justice, what they owed me. Right? I, remember, um, I remember Pastor Dave once saying that if when you think about that person you still hurt, then there's probably still need for forgiveness. There is this uh, passage in the Bible where one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, he comes to Jesus and he goes, you know, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus is like, "Uh, no, seven times 70. Like basically saying, you got to keep forgiving. And I know when I was younger, I used to think that that meant like, gee, this brother keeps screwing up over and over again. He keeps having to re-forgive his brother for different things, which is the case sometimes. But I've realized in my life that I think I actually usually have to forgive a person for one event 70 times, seven times, right? Because sometimes that's how much it takes to get the flow going in your life, right? Forgiveness is a flow. But if forgiveness is a flow, then the very first step to getting this flow going in your life is receiving forgiveness, all right? We need to place ourselves into the flow of forgiveness that is available to us, right? Have you ever heard the phrase, you can't give what you don't have? But maybe, yes. Okay, good. But the same is true for forgiveness. Right? If you and I are going to be able to live a life where we're able to continually extend forgiveness, then we have to first receive the forgiveness that is extended to us. And there is forgiveness continuously being extended to us from our good and loving God. And when I have conversations about this, when I talk to people about this, I find that there are as always, people on either end of the spectrum. There's people who believe that what they have done wrong is unforgivable, that they've crossed some sort of ultimate line, that they're too far gone. Um, And if that's you, if you're in this category, I just want to be clear that God's forgiveness is very much available to you. He very much wants to give it to you. Right, Daniel 9 says, but the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we rebelled against him. 
All right, will the consequences from your, some of your decisions evaporate? Probably not. But will God withhold his love from you? Big nope. Right? You're, you're not too far gone, and he will be with you on every step of the journey towards a reconciliation or whatever is ahead. But then on the other end of the spectrum, which I personally find to be a much more dangerous end of the spectrum, there are people who don't believe they've essentially done anything that bad that requires forgiveness. Right? Especially in comparison to other people. If you uh, have been in the Christian realm for a while, you've likely heard the verse Romans 3.23 that says, all of us have sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. I admit that I've heard this verse so many times that it definitely stopped having much meaning to me for a while there. But it's saying that we all need forgiveness. Yes, in various amounts. But if we forget or we fail to acknowledge how much forgiveness is continuously flowing towards us and that we need it, if we forget to acknowledge that, then A, we forget to receive it, and then B, giving it becomes so much more difficult. And this is something that I think can be um, a risk or something that people who have been Christians their whole life could be prone to, um, I sometimes think of it as the older brother syndrome in reference to the story of the prodigal son. So in the prodigal son in Luke 15, there's a, there's a father with two sons. One son takes his share of the estate, his early inheritance, and he goes off and he squanders it, doing stupid stuff, but sinning. Uh, and then he realizes he's messed up his life, and so he comes back begging for forgiveness, and his father is so excited he's come back. And the forgiveness, his father had already forgiven him even before he asked it. Um, but meanwhile, there's this older brother who's like a little bit offended by how quick the father was to forgive his younger brother. Like that took no, there was like no punishment time. Like, uh, what is that? He felt like not only was the father quick to forgive his younger irresponsible brother, but not only did his younger brother not really deserve such grace and forgiveness, but it seemed like he got more forgiveness and more celebration than he had ever had. So he expresses to his father, he says, hey, like, what's the deal here? I've been with you. I never abandoned you. I never squandered your stuff. Like, why are you giving the younger son this and not me any of this? And his father says, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. And so I can relate to this. Like, I can, I can feel that it must have felt unfair to the older brother to see the obvious and tangible forgiveness displayed. But what the older brother hadn't realized was there was forgiveness and mercy and grace flowing to him on a daily basis. Right? It was always flowing to him. It's, it's like his younger brother had just reopened the flow again. And sometimes we don't fully recognize the forgiveness and grace that is flowing to us on a daily basis. And because the older brother didn't recognize it, he didn't receive it, and because he didn't receive it, it was really hard to give it. Right? So no matter where we feel like we are on the end of the unforgivable to I'm pretty good spectrum, it is imperative to recognize that there's a continuous flow of forgiveness and grace that God always has for us. What we get to choose, what we need to choose, is just whether we will actually get in that flow or not. And then, of course, 
in order for forgiveness to be a flow, we can't let forgiveness stop with us. Sometimes I imagine damming up a river and we only let forgiveness out during big moments or when we feel like it. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Right? We can't let forgiveness stop with us receiving it. It's got to come into our lives and then flow right back out. And I've realized that this is actually supposed to be a daily thing. Uh, my husband, Josiah, and I, we, we were talking about the Lord's Prayer and, and this like realization that we had after whatever, all these years, is that the Lord's Prayer is a morning prayer, as in to pray in the morning. And that's in connection to the line, give us this day our daily bread, which is not really something you pray before bedtime. Like at bed you say, give me a good sleep or give me stuff tomorrow, but give us this day our daily bread implies it's something you say at the beginning of the day. So anyways, the Lord's Prayer, it goes like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. As we also forgive those who are our debtors. So in this model that Jesus gave us, we're actually to receive forgiveness daily and acknowledge that we need to forgive others daily. Right? This is a continuous flow. Right? The flow of forgiveness runs to you every day, and so it is to flow from you every day. One, uh, one metaphor that I read, which is totally corny, but I actually found it helpful, was comparing um, forgiveness to uh, dental care. To dental care. Like, there are those times, those big moments where you need to go to the dentist and you just need to deal with something that's gone drastically wrong. Like whether it's getting a cavity filled or a tooth pulled or like whatever. There are times that you just need a deep cleaning and just to fix the icky stuff that's gone wrong. But in between those appointments, you brush your teeth every day. At least that's the general idea. The idea is also apparently that you're supposed to floss every day, which I admit I have lied to my dentist every single time I've ever gone about the frequency of flossing. But this is what we are supposed to do. You brush daily. It's a continuous process. Because if you don't, if you let the tar or whatever's on there stay there, then it turns into a cavity. And if you don't deal with the cavity, the tooth, the integrity of the tooth is compromised. Right? It becomes bigger and more dramatic to deal with. And the same is true with forgiveness. It is so much better to discipline ourselves, to be quick to forgive, to let forgiving actually become part of our daily habit, as daily as brushing our teeth. Maybe I should do like a forgiveness spiel while I'm brushing my teeth. We'll try this out next time. Ephesians 4.26 explains that we can prevent our anger or our pain, we can prevent it from becoming sin if we don't let the day end before working it out. Now, I have learned this doesn't necessarily mean that full reconciliation takes place before you go to sleep. I have learned this doesn't mean that the problem is solved before you go to sleep. But we can forgive before the end of each day. We can choose to forgive before the details are all sorted out with the person. Right, just as I recognize that the father of the prodigal son, he forgave him before the son even apologized. 
right? So although we might not be able to fix the problem or heal fully or whatever, that record of wrong that we keep in our mind or that, that plan that thought about how much that person has owes us or has hurt us or ruined things in our lives, we can clear that before bed, right? That is something that we can learn to do. And the more that we practice letting go of an offense, as quickly as we pick it up, the more we trigger the flow of forgiveness in our life. Right? Imagine it of continuously receiving and then giving out, receiving and giving out. And as that flow goes and it becomes like a river, when, when things happen to us, when there's pain points, when there's relational things that go on, it actually becomes so much harder for that to stay in us and stay lodged in us because the flow is always going. Right? Because offense... Offense holds us back. Whether we see it or not, because usually we don't, usually it's just the people around us who see it, but offense holds us back. It plateaus us. It limits us from moving forward in our relationship with God. And again, I'm not saying forgiveness doesn't mean nothing happened, that you weren't deeply wronged, that there wasn't a trauma that took place. But it does mean we can move beyond what happened we can move forward, and we can live free from the bondage that took place from that wrongdoing. Could I invite some musical being to come stage? The musical being we refer to as Scott, to the magic carpet. Anyway, okay. Extending forgiveness at least in my experience, uh, it hurts. And I don't want to imply that it doesn't. Right? Forgiveness costs us something. It's hard. But that's also why it's powerful. Right? It's powerful because it isn't easy or, or automatic. Right? Jesus, you know, he, he dies this excruciating death. He, he was tortured to make a way for us to be forgiven. But even before that process began, even when he was thinking about it, he was just so overtaken by the agony and the stress of what was to come that he sweat drops of blood when he was praying the night before. Jesus didn't want to proceed with this plan to be sacrificed. But he faced a choice. Jesus faced his own will, what he wanted, what he probably thought was fair, a.k.a. not dying, or his father's will. God's will. And like Jesus, like Jesus faced that choice, we also face the same choice all the time. Luckily, on most days, we're not facing the choice of, you know, physically dying or not. Thank you, Jesus. But we are faced with the choice to go by what we want, what we feel in the circumstances where we've been wronged. If we do what we want to do there or if we do what God is asking us to do. Right, we are faced with the choice to hold on to offense or to extend grace and forgiveness. And this week, there were several times where I found myself uttering to Jesus, oh, if you made the choice to obey, I can too. If you made the choice to obey God by submitting to the cross, then... I can make a choice to forgive my husband for not closing the bread bag after making toast. 
Remember, this isn't about whether the person or the offense they committed against us is worthy of forgiveness. Right? That's not actually up to us to decide. Our decision is will we obey God and forgive or hold on to the pain? Will we receive God's forgiveness into our lives but then not extend it to others? Or will we allow the flow of forgiveness from God into our lives continue to flow out of us as well? Will we get in the flow? I'm going to read one more scripture and then I... I'm going to just take a moment to pray. Ephesians 4.32. It's the one I opened with. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Let's get in the flow. Would you stand with me this morning as I close in prayer? I'm just going to take a moment just to... Invite Holy Spirit for those of us who desire to start that flow of forgiveness in our life. So I'm just going to take a moment and pray that we would be empowered to receive the forgiveness that's available. And I'll pray in my own words, but I encourage you, I encourage you to do the same. Father God, I thank you that the forgiveness you have extended to us is far more divine and powerful and beautiful than we will ever comprehend. But I thank you that it's never stopped. I thank you that it's always available. And I ask right now for every heart that is open, for every person who in their spirit is saying, you know, I'm ready to receive that, that you would begin to pour your forgiveness into our hearts, into our bodies, and into our minds, and into our spirits. You know, there's this common idea out there that we need to uh, forgive ourselves, which I don't really have a problem with it, but it's actually not biblical. Actually, the Bible just talks about receiving God's forgiveness. Receiving God's forgiveness. So it's not about, you know, Can I get to the point where I can forgive myself? It's about can I get to the point where I will actually allow the gift that God has for us. It is not something we have to work hard to do. It's just something we have to receive. So again, Holy Spirit, would your presence fill this place? We thank you that you have been here every step of the way. And right now, God, I ask that that flow of forgiveness would just begin to pour into the lives of the people here, God. That those things that we have been so mad at ourselves for, those things that we don't even go to in our mind anymore, <laughs> those things that we have shoved to the side, God, I thank you that we don't have to hide those things in the depths of our spirit anymore because you will clean those places, that your light will fill those dark places, that your forgiveness is available, that a new start is available, that you make us white as snow, as the Bible says. We thank you, God. And God, just as we receive the flow of forgiveness into our life, we do not want it to stop there. We don't want to dam up this divine forgiveness that you have showed us. And so I ask God that if there is anyone that we need to forgive, that you would just bring them to mind right now. For some people here, it is a family member or maybe a spouse, a coworker, a neighbor. I think for some people here, it might even be a political leader. 
but we have got to forgive so we can be free and move forward. And so in this context, I, I wouldn't say their name out loud, but if there's someone in, in your mind and you're ready, I would say out loud, I forgive you. I forgive you. Because it lets the spiritual realm know what's happening. I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. God, I thank you that you are good and that your ways are not our ways and that their purpose is so much higher than we can understand and that you lead us into places of forgiveness, not just for the sake of forgiveness, but that we can find freedom. Your purpose is freedom for your people. And I believe that that process has started today with the flow of forgiveness start today and continue it into our lives. As often as brushing our teeth, God, will we be a people who are known as forgiveness? And God, as we move forward into this Christmas season with the parties and the budgets and the family things and all the stuff, the good and the bad, God, would you give us the grace and the reminder that forgiveness is a flow? We are not going to let relational wounds stop us from thriving because we will become masters of forgiveness because of you. Because of you. Thank you so much, Jesus. In your amazing name, amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.